Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. Oh, this week's episode, there's no freezing over the box office. Ben Arno's picks for the decade. And welcome to Rob McCallum Week. All this and more as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here from Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, the Lakers Fast Break podcast, and Inside Sports Fantasy Football, welcoming you to another great show. But it wouldn't be a Pop Culture Cosmos without my good friend returning from a turkey hangover. He is the viewer of Frozen 2. It's also the man behind Humanica Media. you got to catch everything that he's doing today at popculturecosmos.wordpress.com, Humanica Media, all over the place, and also his great book, Congratulations, You Suck. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. Welcome back, my friend. What's up, man? Hey, so I read some interesting news before I left. Nickelodeon and Netflix signed a thing. We should talk about that sometime. You know, I got my Rocco's Modern Life shirt prepped here for... Such a conversation. You know, I guess it's like an overlaying theme because of the streaming wars that are now happening. I mean, it, we're now in the middle of it. It's no more on the horizon stuff. It is now a point where the money is flying. It is a situation where you have these thriving or these new businesses in the you know in these streaming networks now willing to dish out all the money for all these shows, for all these series, for all these movies, for all these companies to all these directors, to all these actors and whatnot. They're giving away all this money. The thing I want to know is, do they have all this money? It's because Netflix constantly runs at a loss. But you see, in the case of having to buy a lot of the Nickelodeon material, a lot of their back stuff, and also what going forward, a lot of their stuff that they're going to go ahead and put you know, after their run on Nickelodeon onto that channel. That's very interesting as well, because they need as much as they can get with all their... There are those shows migrating to other venues and also the rise of Disney Plus as well. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I feel like Netflix is – they're one of those companies much like – you know, they're trying to a- operate like Amazon did where they, they said if I take out a lot of debt and I do all these things right now, we're going to profit in the long run. You know, we'll keep building up time and time again and eventually whether it's two years from now, five years from now, eight years from now, we'll turn a profit. We'll be a big company. But, you know, we're looking at their contracts with Disney, right? They bought up all that content, put into production. Now they're gone. You know, they lost those properties. They don't have them anymore. So I don't necessarily know that if they're going to reach a point of equilibrium anytime soon. But at the same time, like, there is a huge market for nostalgia, right? There's a huge market, like the kids who grew up watching Nickelodeon for Rugrats and Rocket Power and Rocco's Modern Life. So if they can just find the market, find that niche, and they can find that balance in between 
you know, the nostalgia and, and new content, like uh, exclusive content, you know, The Witcher, they have Stranger Things, things like that. If they can find that balance, I think maybe they will reach equilibrium. They just need to not do that thing that they've been doing where they're going out guns blazing, you know, just buying up everything they can get their hands on. They need to be more strategic about it. Well, that's something we can also talk about later in the show when we discuss two other Netflix properties in Marriage Story and The Irishman later on in the broadcast, because I want to ask you your pointed question on The Irishman specifically, because it got released onto Netflix last week, just before the Thanksgiving holiday. So I want to ask you if The Irishman would have been allowed to get a full theatrical release, what were the odds of it You know, really banking on the box office? Is it something that would have been a big hit at the box office? So we're going to discuss that and maybe that'll elaborate more into what we were talking about here with the overall streaming Netflix type scenario and the, you know, the wars that are happening right now later on in the broadcast. Plus also as well, Ben Arnault from the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast and smokinghotconfessions.com. He's stopping by with his picks of the decade in pop culture, mainly in movies and also as well, comic book movies. He's got a separate list for each. So you got to stand by for that. Plus, you know, I can't let him go off a show without telling us another great holiday cooking idea as well. And also, it's actually welcome to Rob McCallum week. We're going to go ahead. I've got a ton of stuff I got to go ahead and send out to everybody on the Pop Culture Cosmos channel this week. So Rob McCallum is going to be all over the place on Pop Culture Cosmos. And it starts today with an off-the-cuff segment. But you're also going to hear back episodes of his off-the-cuff extended interviews with his wife, Tanya, formerly of the rock group Kitty, and also as well, Justin Schoenrock and so much more this week on the Pop Culture Cosmos channel. But it starts off today with an off-the-cuff segment. Just so excited to go ahead. It is Rob McCallum Week. Rob's a talented dude. Let's be straight up about that. He's a man of many hats, very talented dude, and I would definitely recommend you check out what he's got going on. Absolutely. So check out Rob McCallum Films on social media or robmccallumfilms.com today for all of his great stuff. But first, my friend, we've got a lot to talk about when it concerns the box office. Frozen 2. You, okay, you know what? I'm going to, you know, go ahead, my friend. Pat yourself on the back. Pat yourself on the back right there for you. He's doing it now if you're watching it on YouTube. He is patting himself on the back because Josh called it straight up. Frozen 2 is another massive hit for Disney. Over the course of the past five days, over the Thanksgiving weekend, it has earned roughly about $123 million over the five-day Thanksgiving Day period. It is now at around $730 to $740 million worldwide. It is earning money all over the place. It is another big hit for Disney. And you called it, my friend, it is exceeding right now what original Frozen movie did worldwide. Not just here, but worldwide as well. So it is really doing well at this point in time. Also, I want to give props before we talk about Frozen 2, because I know you saw it, and I know you want to share some thoughts on it. I also want to give some props to everyone out there who got a chance to see Knives Out, because I think it just shows out there that there's an audience for whodunits, because Knives Out also has earned over $40 million in that five-day period. It looks like that's going to turn a profit as well. And anybody out there that's interested in a good whodunit with very good reviews, both from a critical but also from a movie-going audience, because it's got a very good cinema score as well, 
you want to go ahead and check out Knives Out because it is doing very well at the box office. Plus, also debuting this week in fifth place, Queen and Slim, which is a revisitation, so to speak, in a new, maybe a modernization of the Bonnie and Clyde type films. Queen and Slim did very well this weekend in only a limited amount of theaters, earning about $15 million over the five-day period as well. So that's a good sign for that film, which is a lower-budget film. So, you know, when it earns that type of money, that's a good sign going forward. But Frozen 2, $720, $730 million looks like when all is said and done, it's going to close in on a billion probably within the next, what, seven to ten days here. Shouldn't be that long. So it's going to be the $6 billion moneymaker for Disney. It looks like it's on track for that, my friend. You've actually seen Frozen 2. So I want to hear your thoughts on Frozen 2. And is it really something that people need to check out? Families, kids, parents. Should this be still a second time around for Frozen 2? You know, it's an interesting question. Is it Because I keep thinking about it. And I, I put it into, when I think about Frozen, I think about two different categories of film. Is it something that's worth going out to watch? Like, is it a good film versus is it an entertaining film? Is it a good film? I would say no. Is it an entertaining film? I would say yes. So from that aspect, I'd say if you're looking to take your family out to the movies and you want them to see something that will entertain you, Frozen 2 is definitely worth it. To me, as a critique you know, of films and stories, I watched it and I was thinking to myself, you know, there's a lot of things in here that didn't really need to happen. There's a lot of plot holes, a lot of things. But again, it's a kid's movie, so it's meant to entertain. It's not meant to intrigue. So I would say it's it's worth watching, but it's not something that is, you know, like your people who are looking for a smart movie are going to enjoy. It's something worth taking the kids to see. You know, the soundtrack is, uh, you know... I. I don't know. Let me ask you a question. Do Disney, do soundtracks in Disney movies make or break the film for you? Well, it depends on the Disney movie. I mean, you know, when you're talking about something like Frozen, I mean, that's what really got people interested, you know, especially the kids. Kids started singing the songs. People went back to go ahead and watch the movie in repeated fashion to go and sing the songs in the theater. So that really got the kids' attention. I mean, let it go. We still remember that song today, and we still used it as a phrase. You and I were joking and all the puns and all that because the song became so famous. I mean, when it came out around the time that the movie came out, it became, you know, a number one hit. You know, people, everybody was, was singing it. It was just all over the place. You couldn't avoid it. And now there isn't that type of song with Frozen 2 that I know of yet or that I've heard, you know, that has been expounded upon, but that's still from everybody I've spoken to that they're talking about the music to it. The music they say is pretty good. It just doesn't have that resonance of the first Frozen film. Okay. See, that's what I was going to say. Like the songs are catchy, but it doesn't stick with you, you know, as much as like, let it go to, there's one song in the movie called into the unknown. And it's sang by Elsa, who's played by Adina Menzel. And it's really good. You know, like I love, She's a very talented and well-pitched singer, but that's the only song from the movie I remember outside of the one that was sang by Kristoff, who uh, I'm not sure who plays him, but it, it was done in like a, the fashion of an 80s music video. So they had all like these, you know, the background singers and they're mocking queen videos and stuff. 
I remember that part of the film, but I don't remember the song. So there's not a lot that really sticks out to me. So as far as the soundtrack goes, like, yes, it has a couple really good songs, but nothing that resonates like the Frozen 1 soundtrack did. It was an entertaining hour and a half. You know, it's not as fulfilling, I guess, as Frozen 1 was because it just, it feels like a movie that didn't really need to happen. But at the same time, it's entertaining. Does that make, am I making any sense when I'm saying this? I think you are, but I think it's just, you're describing a sequel. Yes. Details. Yes. It's like, there's not, there's not enough lore inside that universe to make a sequel. That's really something that you're going to walk out of theater going, wow, that was game changing. You know, it was just like your typical Disney movie. You know, it wasn't quite the, the quality of, you know, Return of Jafar or something. I mean, it wasn't quite as bad quality as like Return of Jafar or uh, Mulan 2 or something like that, but it was not as good as the original Frozen. It sounds like a typical sequel that they have sequelitis where they just go ahead and paint by numbers and throw it out there and there you go. And right now that's good enough for Disney. And right now that's good enough for the fans that are going to see it because it does enough to go ahead. Like you said, it's not a great film, but in your opinion, but it's an entertaining film. And I think that's what counts because the audiences that are going to see it, the families think it is, it's a safe movie to take their kids to. The families are going to go ahead and see it. That's why they're going in numbers. That's why it's still breaking the box office because it's now frozen is a familiar property. And all the kids who didn't see it in the theaters, but saw it on video over the course of the past few years are now actually all going to see it. Plus the kids that saw Unfrozen. So they've got the combination there of all those those parties going to see this film. That's why it's doing so well. What I would worry about is Frozen 3. If Frozen 2 has left a bad taste in anyone's mouth or in a large group of uh, you know enough people's mouths, if you know how it will affect Frozen 3. Because like you said, it's certainly pointing in that direction. And Disney is going to go ahead and make sure it points in that direction for a Frozen 3. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, you could tell there's there's plans for it because while the movie ends, it doesn't end, you know, there's not like a, and then they all lived happily ever after. There's like a feeling of, well, there could be something else after this. And, you know, before we go on, I do want to give a shout out to Josh Gad. Like he didn't really have, have a lot to work with, with that script, but he kind of made Olaf feel like a star in the movie, as opposed to a side character, like he was in frozen one. And he is actually a very, great voice actor you know even in uh what was the first thing i i saw him in was ice age continental drift as a voice actor and that was really good. uh he he did that part very well also but you know with uh disney I, honestly disney makes i i i would not be surprised if they made more money off of the merchandise for frozen than they do the actual film itself and i think they kind of feed into each other because their marketing game for frozen 2 has been second to none you know, you see that stuff everywhere. You go into Rite Aid and they have Frozen 2 stuff everywhere. You go into Target, it's Frozen 2 stuff everywhere. You go into Vaughn's, there is Frozen 2 stuff everywhere and kids are buying it. I was at CVS even, you know, you could buy life-size Annas and Elsas. Like I, I see, you know, kids walking around in Frozen t-shirts and things like that. Like their marketing game is solid for this movie and they would be stupid not to make a Frozen 3. But again, how poorly can they make a movie before people don't want to go and see it well in the case of the frozen series i think it's going to take quite a bad movie in order to go ahead and affect it that deeply 
Maybe Frozen 3 will not quite get the numbers that Frozen 2 has, but you're still talking $700, $800 million performance, even if the numbers slide down by 20 30%, because right now it's headed to over a billion dollars. So I think they're going to go ahead and take that risk and delve into a Frozen 3 here in two or three years' time. I could clearly see that happening. With over $700 million earned worldwide right now at the box office, I see great things ahead for Frozen 2 and the Frozen series. Yeah, and again, like I I didn't dislike the movie. It, it entertained me. It just wasn't good. But as you and I have said before, and you even pointed this out, those Disney movies are not exactly geared towards us as long as they entertain and attract the young individuals and get them going back for more and more later on. And like you said, buying all the Frozen 2 merchandise. Well, when we come back, Ben Arnaud from the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast and SmokingHotConfessions.com, he's going to talk to us about his best of the decade in pop culture. And then right after that, we start Rob McCallum week with an off-the-cuff segment. And to close out the show, Josh and I are going to talk about The Irishman and what if it had been a full theatrical release. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. For the latest news and information, analysis and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. All right, and we're back with the program. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. Every time I get this next guest on the show, it's just a tremendous blast. But I'll tell you what, I'm prepared today. I've got a nice steaming hot tamale right next to me to eat just in case because my next guest right here, he will always make me hungry. But I am prepared this time. If you're not catching Smoking Hot Confessions today, you're missing out on some of the best interviews in regards to grilling, barbecuing, and just great times, great recipes, anything about the barbecuing scene that you can get because he's got SmokingHotConfessions.com, he's got the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast, and so much more. If you're missing out today, check it out, please. Smoking Hot Confessions, it is my good friend. He's from Australia, so it gets even better down there. It is Ben Arnault. Ben, it's just great to have you on the show talking the greatest in pop culture, in your opinion, for this past decade. G'day, mate. That's the best one yet. I loved it. <laughs> I, I'm trying. I'm trying. Maybe it's the hot tamale. I just want to give a shout out to Dono Maria's here on the Las Vegas Strip. They have the best tamales in town rated time and time again. So if you're in Vegas, check them out. And if you're into tamales and all that, it's Dona Maria's Cannot Say Good Enough Good Things. Get it every year for the holiday meals. But then it also helps when you have some wisdom teeth pulled. But I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. So continuing our conversation, you said you had two lists in regards to movies that have touched you over the course of the past 10 years in regards to pop culture. So just describe these movies to our audience and, and tell them what kind of effect they've had on you because to you, this has been the best of pop culture over the past 10 years. Yeah, yeah. So I, um, I've, I've got the two lists. One is just comic book movies and the other one is overall top 10 movies. Um, so we might start by looking at the overall top 10. So the first one for me is, is Mission Impossible Fallout. I, I realize that it's like the sixth movie in the franchise or something. And, you know, the, the further into the franchise you get, typically speaking, the, the less quality uh, film they are. But I just thought that that was 
considering Tom Cruise's age and where he's at and the fact that these films started in 1996 and they haven't recast the actor in the role, it's, it's, it's not like James Bond where you get one James Bond for eight or nine years and then he switches out. It's been Tom Cruise for 23 years. I, I thought that was really fantastic. And the scene where he's hanging by his hands from the, uh, from the roof and the guy's well in his 50s now and he's able to still do those stunt scenes and that. I just thought that it was incredible and I liked the pop culture nods in that film as well. So, you know, casting Superman as the villain, that sort of thing. I thought, you know, I, I thought all that was pretty cool as well. Well, I'll tell you what, when it comes to Mission Impossible Fallout, I mean, the great success from that film, they're continuing the series even more. I mean, Paramount now has full plans for it if they didn't have it before. They're now filming the next two Mission Impossibles back-to-back that will be released one year and then the other year, a la what we saw with Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. That'll be interesting to see if they're going to ramp up the storylines like Avengers Infinity War and, and Endgame did as well. So number nine's got to be Get Out, just because it was so socially challenging. I, I think that it's really important for films to be provocative and sort of, you know, try and promote social change by making us aware of of some of the injustices in, in society. So I'd, I love that one for that reason. Number eight has to be Mad Max Fury Road, purely because I'm Australian and Mad Max is an Australian series. It was a bit of a swing back to the Australian style of filmmaking after Mad Max 3, where it's, it swung to complete Hollywood style of, of filmmaking. If you actually watch the first three, Mad Max 1, 2, and then Thunderdome, Thunderdome is a completely different style of film to Mad Max 1 and 2. And I felt that Mad Max Fury Road was a bit of a swing back towards the origins, which I really appreciated. Seven, Creed. I love Rocky. And I thought that by shifting the, the focus, and of course it's Michael B. Jordan, who's just an awesome actor in everything he touches. It touched on the nostalgia of watching the Rocky films, but also introduced new characters. And you could see that the franchise has a direction to go. Number six is Inception. But I've always really liked Christopher Nolan's movies. The first one of his that I saw was um, Memento. And Memento just blew my mind. And then Inception came along several years later and just blew my mind again. It was really sort of pushing the boundaries of stories that you can tell in cinema. It's a great list so far, my friend. I'm truly impressed with it. And I'm so excited to hear more. So I want to hear more thoughts on your best of the decade when it concerns the cinema. So number five is the first comic book movie on this list, and that's Captain America Civil War. One of the things that my father and I used to do when we were sort of bonding and hanging out was we he was a huge, he is a huge James Bond fan. And um, we'd, we'd watched all these old James Bond films. And what I loved about Civil War was that it was a little bit different a style than previous comic books, uh, comic book movies. And it, it, it had that element of espionage and that that sort of that James Bond feel to it as well. And so for me, that that really appealed to me in that because it sort of, you know, it it, it hit those uh, those buttons of nostalgia and, and feelings of family and that that are really important to me. And I think it just really it sort of set the bar for the emotional depths and intrigue that a comic book movie is capable of that perhaps we hadn't seen before. 
Next up, Thor Ragnarok. I know that this one's a bit polarizing. People either sort of love it or hate it. And I think um, for me, I'd, I love it. And I think it's because of uh, Taika Waititi, his involvement. The the New Zealand sense of humor is really similar to the Australian sense of humor. And uh, watching this film in the cinemas in Australia, the people were just in stitches in the cinema, laughing out loud. It was, it was raucous. It was fun. It had a great soundtrack. There was a bit of the throwback to the eighties in there with some of the some of the lighting effects and the colorization of the film and the um, the the music, of course. And so for me, I that one really stood out to me as well. As did the next one on the list, which was Black Panther. To be honest, I'd never actually heard of Black Panther until they started announcing that they were going to make this movie. And so I, I started reading up on the character, and he was a really interesting character. And I thought. It's it's going to be interesting to see how they how they sort of pull this off, and they just did it so well. That movie was so good. It told stories that are important right now. It told stories that really matter, and it um, it's going to really open the door to some better balanced representation in in Hollywood, I think. And so, but I pretty much think because of the success of Black Panther, we're now going to see Simu Liu sorry about my pronunciation, is going to do uh, Shang-Chi. And I think that that uh, Black Panther probably paved the way in a, in a big way for that film. Now, number two is probably going to be a bit of a bit of a surprise. I'm going animated. I'm going to go Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Uh, when I heard about it, when I started reading about it, I was really skeptic. I thought, oh, this is, there's no way they can pull this off. This is going to be just terrible. And I only watched it because my son was, Daddy, we have to watch it. Daddy, we watch it. So I watched it and it's got the heights of comedy and then moments of sadness. And it's it's got the full spectrum of, of emotions and beats of action and beats of quiet that appeal to both adults and kids. It's not just aimed at kids. A lot of the entertainment aimed at kids these days, I don't know how you feel about it. I feel like I'm going to get a headache watching it. It's so... Like if, if kids didn't have ADHD before, they probably got it because of the, uh, they probably developed it because of the, the style of movies and TV shows that are coming out for them. But Into the Spider-Verse just, it was so well balanced and just appealed to both adults and kids. And I'm actually really excited now to see what they do next with that. And I think it kind of sets an interesting precedent and that they, they kind of mentioned it in um, Spider-Man Far From Home, this idea of a multiverse. It's going to be quite interesting. The number one film for me, the one that the film that really sort of struck me the most was Gone Girl. I watched it. I think I've seen it once and it's not the kind of film that I felt like I needed to go back and watch again and again, but it just, it struck me so much the first time that I watched it. It might be part of that whole, you know, true crime genre that everyone seems to be obsessed with at the moment. That kind of that, that realistic sort of a crime genre. I, I don't know. But just the storytelling, the actor portrayals in there. I'm not a huge Ben Affleck fan, but I thought he was great in that. Rosamund Pike was just phenomenal in that. That movie just really kind of struck me. It was it was hitting on pressure points in terms of like marriages and relationships and money issues and you know, what is control, what is power, what is love, what is, you know it just sort of raised all these questions and sort of just packaged it all up and presented it in such a thought provoking way. Even now someone mentions Gone Girl and I, I just, I instantly go back to in, in my mind to watching it and 
those the the feelings I was feeling watching it were really visceral, and so my memories take me back to those feelings exactly at that point in time. That's my number one in terms of movies that sort of really struck me in this decade. Now, the last one, I've left it to last because it's got huge personal significance for me, but isn't necessarily one of the best films made of the decade, if that makes sense. It's got to be um, Star Wars The Force Awakens. It's not necessarily the best made film of the decade, but I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I have been. I remember being five years old and being absolutely wrapped when my mum bought me a Luke Skywalker toothbrush. And so my son's now at about the age where I was, where I started watching Star Wars and loving it. And so when The Force Awakens came out, my son was four years old. And uh, what we did was for six weeks before the release of that film, we watched one of the old Star Wars every weeks for six weeks. It was a family affair. We'd get some popcorn, get some soft drink. Everyone would sit on the couch under a blanket and watch these movies together. And so it was fantastic bonding time. And at four years old, he was so wrapped in Star Wars by the end of that process, that four-year-old kid sat through that two-and-a-half-hour movie and didn't once complain, whinge, or need to go to the bathroom. So I've I've now created a monster for myself because everything is Star Wars. Last year for Christmas, when he went to sleep, he woke up and Santa Claus had completely renovated his bedroom around him and turned it into like a Star Wars universe bedroom. Oh, that's incredible. Um, com- complete with red shag carpet, so it looks like some of the planet surfaces. We're gearing up to go and watch The Rise of Skywalker. The Star Wars franchise, something that, okay, was maybe something on the decline, something on the, as far as people just not wanting to, uh, you know, really get into it because of the bad taste a lot of people had in their mouths because of the previous decade and the prequels. (laughs) I mean, just because it just left such a bad taste in everybody's mouth or in so many people's mouths, I should say. So The Force Awakens, whether or not you want to say it's a great film, a good film, or, or whatever, it is a for me. I think it was a safe venture for JJ. It, it it followed a formula that had already been tried and tested for people of this decade, like your son. He'll remember it, like you said, like you remember Star Wars, and making sure that it's something a lot of people wanted to see. Now, where the series goes from, you know, it's anyone's guess. Like you said, it's culminating on December twentieth with the rise of Skywalker. But I'm very excited to see. A lot of people are are excited to see as well exactly where this will go as far as the culmination of the Skywalker saga, as it were. It's funny that you mentioned the, the, the bad taste that people have with those prequels. The, um, so we've, we've never said to my son, these movies are the good ones, these movies are the bad ones. We just sat and watched them all. And he will go back and watch Empire of his own free choosing again and again and again and again. And so we, in this lead up to... Uh, the Rise of Skywalker, we did that again. We've been watching one movie a week for the last, I think we're up to eight or nine weeks now. And uh, when it came time to kick it off, he he just asked me if we could skip straight to A New Hope. <laughs> he, he didn't want to sit and watch the first three. I don't blame him a bit. <laughs> Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films.
So I got to hear your thoughts, my friend, on the films in comic book world that you feel have shaped a decade because comic book films have become a major part of pop culture this decade. Yeah, absolutely. So kicking things off at number 10, I've got Ant-Man and the Wasp. It was kind of what we needed after such a heavy couple of films there. I've always liked Paul Rudd and I've always liked Evangeline Lilly and they just seem to work really well together. I would not be surprised if we actually see Evangeline Lilly's uh, Wasp character sort of spin off and get her own trilogy of movies because she was probably the best thing at movie. I, I, I think it's pretty fair to say. And yeah, I, I just really loved it for that reason. Next was Avengers Infinity War, just purely because they managed to handle the scale of it so well trying to get so many characters on screen and doing so many different things. I liked that they had built these incredibly in-depth and engaging emotional ties with these characters and then weren't afraid to, to kill them off, to give them, you know, to, to make things final. I thought it was very brave. It gave the stories closure. Like I, I feel like we're ready for the next arc which i think is important because people aren't going to feel like oh, this is just dragging after what are we up to 24 films in 12 years or something the next phase is going to feel new and fresh it's going to feel like a, a new chapter not just a they're sort of you know trying to beat a dead horse and drag as much out of it as they can so in terms of storytelling and i guess boldness i put end game in there next was civil war captain america civil war I'd, i've already spoken to that followed by Aquaman. I was so skeptical about this. I was so skeptical. I'd seen Justice League, wasn't a fan of Justice League. I didn't think that that Aquaman would be a strong enough character to be a lead in his own film franchise. And I was completely wrong. And I'm I'm happy to say that I was completely wrong. I, I loved the film Aquaman. I'm an ocean boy. I, I live four blocks off the beach. I love the, you know, the water, the smells, the, you know, just all of it. I'd and so for that uh, for that to work in that ocean setting really sort of uh, sort of struck a chord with me, and um, I was very happy to be surprised uh, at just how good that film was. Followed closely by Wonder Woman. Wow, what a film! What a film that was. It, it, it's right up there. I mean, getting to the pointy end of this list. I mean, it's it, it's hard, really hard to separate them, but. Wonder Woman probably could be a little bit higher in the list, but it was really refreshing to see a female character be sexy because she's so strong, not because of what she's wearing or she flirts or, you know, things like that. She was sexy because she kicked butt hard and she didn't take any guff from anybody. And, you know, that was what was appealing about her character. So that was really nice to see such a such a strong female character on screen and i'm really looking forward to seeing what comes next i was actually a bit disappointed with the way her character was handled in justice league they'd done the wonder woman film and they built this character that was you know as i said she was sexy because of her strength not because of necessarily what she was wearing and then justice league comes along the skirt's a bit shorter we're getting upskirt butt shots of her and i just i felt that that overly sexualized what was already a an honestly sexy character. Next was Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I already spoke about that. And then Spider-Man Homecoming uh, is my number three. I loved the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films, uh, one and two. Uh, number three really just disappointed me. 
I thought that the Andrew Garfield films, I didn't mind number one. I thought number one was pretty good. It was an interesting sort of new angle on Spider-Man. But the second one, I just, I thought that was just terrible. And I can see why they chose to end that franchise at two. And so Spider-Man Homecoming, again, I was skeptical. I was like, oh, here we go. We're going to get the Spider-Man story again. But it was just so good. Tom Holland just really sort of took that character on and he was really convincing in that character as as a teenage high school kid who, you know, suddenly wakes up and can climb walls and things. I just thought they just really nailed that. And I loved having Michael Keaton into a comic book movie as well as a, as a villain. I thought that was really cool. And he was great in that role too. I, I wouldn't mind if his character breaks out of prison and, you know, forms a spider-man rogues gallery or something and comes back and pops up in in later films he was just so good and number two for me was thor ragnarok that i spoke to before i was just in stitches i thought that was hilarious i want to see more of that stuff that was uh that really appealed to my sense of humor and the last one number one i think is probably the most significant film in the franchise was black panther which i also spoke to before did a lot of positive things, presented different characters in different ways that we hadn't seen before. And I'm really excited to see Black Panther 2. I think I was reading it's scheduled for 2021. Is that right? With the next Black Panther is going to be a phase five movie. So you're probably not going to see it. I'm sorry, until about 2022 at the earliest, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I'm either way, I'm I'm still really looking forward to it. I'll tell you what, my friend, that's a great list right there. It's just so amazing to see that comic book movies have had such an imprint in your lives and your family's lives over the course of the past 10 years because the the rise and quality improvement of the comic book films as opposed to what was done even in the previous decades. So it's great to see. If you have thoughts out there on what Ben Arnault was talking about, when it concerns pop culture over the past 10 years, or if you got your own stuff you want to talk about as far as what impressed you over the course of the past decade, please feel free to let us know, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com or popculturecosmos on any one of our social media outlets on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But before I let you go, my friend, you know you got to go ahead and share some knowledge with us, some great food knowledge and some holiday food ideas or or just something to go ahead at this point in time of year that feels December-ish, something that I think a lot of people would like to go ahead and have with their family gather around them or the friends that are come over or the neighbors that unexpectedly and uninvitedly, hey, hey man, how you doing, Ben? Gonna come over. Oh, you're, you're cooking? All right. You know, that sounds good. All right, I'm coming on. <laughs> so I want to hear your thoughts, my friend on a, maybe a great holiday dish idea or holiday dishes idea that you think will really go well over this holiday? Well, the thing to remember about uh, about Christmas in Australia is it's hot, really hot over here. So this Christmas, they're predicting already it's going to be about 100, 105 degrees here. I'm on the Gold Coast, so we'll have about 80% humidity. So if you're talking about a traditional Aussie Christmas lunch, we typically have cold cuts. So we'll get a, a leg of smoked ham and we don't eat it hot. We'll usually, we'll keep it in the fridge. So it's at, uh, you know, sort of four degrees Celsius, like nice and cold mangoes straight out of the fridge, fresh prawns or shrimp, again, chilled straight out of the fridge. And of course, some, some icy cold beers. And one of the reasons for that is because if you're going to 
you know, bake an 18 hour turkey and all that sort of stuff, your house is going to be just unbearably hot by the time you've been running your kitchen for that long. So one of the things that that we do in my house, because we're a, we're a cross-cultural family, my wife's American and I'm Australian, we put all that together. So we have the cold cuts, the mangoes, the the prawns, the the icy cold beer, but then I'll go out to the barbecue and I'll I'll put something on the barbecue outside, and uh, and so we still have some of those some of those hot uh, hot meats and uh, veggies and things for Christmas lunch as well. So we have a real sort of a real sort of fusion. And what I've been working on perfecting lately is a crackling roast pork. So succulent, juicy pork on the inside, and then that crunchy salted pork crackle on the outside and so you want to sort of make things at, as easy for yourself as possible so head down to your local butcher by all means if the supermarket does this then grab it from the supermarket otherwise support a local butcher tell them you want a boned rolled leg of pork with the skin on and ask them to score it for you so what that means is they're going to take a nice big sharp knife and they're going to cut some lines into that skin of the pork and then you're going to get that home you're going to unwrap it. You're going to put it in a tray and you're going to rub it with uh, sea salt flakes and put it in the fridge overnight. The salt is going to draw the moisture out of the skin. Try and keep the salt off the meat as much as you can. Just try and pack it onto that skin. And by drawing that moisture out of the skin, you've got a much higher chance of getting a more even and more crackly crackle, if that's a thing, during the cooking process. Now, you can do this in, in any sort of... Uh, hooded grill or hooded barbecue personally i'm a huge fan of charcoal so i'll i'll do this on a pk 360 from pk grills or you can still do it with a propane grill so if it's a weber or a pk you can push the charcoal all off to either side if it's a propane grill you're going to need at least three burners four is probably even better turn on the rightmost one and the leftmost one and you're going to sit your pork in a tray and if you're roasting rack as well, just to get the pork up off the bottom of the pan, that, that's even a little bit better. And you can do sorts of things like you can create a bed of sliced Granny Smith apples or green apples and some onion slices as well. And that'll roast in under the pork. The pork drippings will go down over those onions and apples. And then you can puree that at the end of the process into some homemade delicious uh, applesauce. So... I'll actually load that up with charcoal, get the charcoal lit, get that blazing hot. You want the two sides blazing hot, as hot as you can get it. You want your grill sitting at around 450 Fahrenheit, 430 to 450 Fahrenheit, and you're going to sit that pork in the middle and close the lid. And after about 45 minutes to an hour, you're going to open that up and have a bit of a look at the crackle. Tap it with the back of a knife. And if you hear that tonk, tonk, tonk sound, that means that it's crackled. You'll also feel it because if it still feels soft, then obviously it hasn't crackled. If it hasn't crackled, you put the lid back down, check again in 30 minutes. If it has crackled, if it's a charcoal grill, cut the oxygen supply right down. So you want to drop that temperature right down. And uh, if it's a gas grill, just turn the gas down to bring that down to a minimum. And what that does is that blast of high heat at the start is what forms that crackle on the outside. And then the, the lower heat will bring the internal temperature of the pork up to a perfect roast temperature of 165 Fahrenheit internal. Now, for this, it probably is better if you do have some wireless thermometers and some instant read thermometers. The wireless thermometer is going to let you know if it's got a minimum of two probes. This is the key. You want a two probe wireless thermometer. 
one that you can set on the grill so you can find out what the atmospheric temperature is inside your barbecue. And the other probe goes right into the middle of that uh, leg of pork. So you know what's happening right in the middle there. So when that hits 165, then you pull it off, wrap some foil over the top of the pork and just sit it in your oven inside with the oven switched off because the oven is a fantastic insulator. We want to keep it at the temperature. We don't want to make it any hotter, but we want to keep it at that temperature for about 30 minutes just to give it a rest so the muscles can relax and reabsorb some of the juices and all that sort of stuff. And so what you'll end up with is this beautiful, moist, perfectly cooked, 165 degree Fahrenheit pork roast with fantastic, salty, crunchy skin on the outside. Oh, I forgot to talk about how to how to finish prepping the skin. Okay, so you've salted the skin the night before. You pull it out, wipe that salt off, get some olive oil and massage the, the olive oil all over the, the skin of that uh, piece of pork and then re-salt it, then put it into the barbecue to cook. I don't use any wood when I'm doing that just because I like traditional roast pork flavor for that. I don't really like smoky flavored crackle, but you can if you want to. Just keep in mind though that with the charcoal burning that high and that hot, you're running the risk of getting some of that acrid smoke flavor rather than the delicious flavor of uh, traditional barbecue joints. I just cut the wood out altogether and I just cook that delicious, juicy, crackly rolled pork leg over charcoal and it is just mind-blowing. I'm telling you, man, I just ate and yet I'm hungry again after listening to that. My gosh, it's just <laughs> truly incredible. Once again, you pull it off like no one else with a great holiday meal idea. It is my good friend, Ben Arnaud from the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. You got to check out everything that he's doing today at smokinghotconfessions.com. And of course, his amazing award-winning podcast, Smoking Hot Confessions. But before we head on out, you got to tell everybody why Smoking Hot Confessions is the place to go for all their barbecuing needs. Thanks, mate. So um, yeah, uh, Smoking Hot Confessions, we, we cover all the bases, so We've got recipes, we've got product reviews, I travel to events and I cover the events. We've got all the photography and videos that you're ever going to want to look at if if that's your thing. We've got the podcast happening. We are moving more into videos, so there's big things coming in 2020. And, mate, I'm going to be heading back to the US again in April to Louisville, Kentucky for the National Barbecue and Grilling Association's annual conference. It's the biggest barbecue industry conference in the world. And for 2020, I've actually been invited to go and present. So I'm going to be uh, jumping up on stage there in, in front of all the, uh, all the really committed, super diehard barbecue fans. And I'm going to be, uh, going to be presenting to them about something on the, along the lines of using social media to build your barbecue business, something like that. Well, I'll tell you what, it's a great time indeed to go ahead and get into barbecuing even more and the grilling scene. So you want to check out today, smokinghotconfessions.com with everything that Ben Arno is doing. It, just, it sounds awesome. It just gets even better and better, bigger and bigger. Each and every time I talk to you, it is Smoking Hot Confessions. And I'll tell you what, Ben, it's just been so great to talk to you today about everything in pop culture. Any last thoughts on the way out? Mate, I'm just stoked for 2020. I can't even tell you. It's it's really exciting. There's in in the world of pop culture, there's big things coming up. In the, the world of barbecue, there's big things coming up. We're in a bit of that awkward growth phase at the moment, just in our household. Those moments of sort of growing pains or something really big happens. And uh, yeah, I just can't wait for, for 2020. 
Well, it's going to be a great decade indeed coming up. I have a feeling even better for pop culture than it was before, but I just appreciate you telling everybody today your thoughts on how pop culture has shaped this decade and, of course, some great holiday cooking ideas as well. Thanks so much, my friend. I appreciate the time that you've taken today talking to us and and just cannot thank you enough for being a part of the show these past years. And you know what? Continued success to you and everything with Smoking Hot Confessions. You are always welcome back to tell us more great ideas, provided I eat something first, of course, right here (laughs) on the Pop Culture Cosmos. Happy Holidays! It's that time of the year again, as on December 7th, it's the Retro City Games Holiday Game Day, featuring free video games. Be a part of all the fun starting at 10 a.m. as both the Henderson and Town Square locations will be giving away 250 bags, each with one mystery video game or other goodies for free. But that's not all. At the Henderson location, we're hosting not one, but two big video game tournaments in the afternoon with big prizes on tap for the best players on Super Smash Brothers and Mario Kart on the Switch. The fee for each tournament is just $10 or an equivalent canned food, new unwrapped toy, or new kids' clothing, socks, or undergarment donation. All tournament fees and donations go to our friends at Three Square of Las Vegas, UMC Children's Hospital, and Girl Scouts of Southern Nevada Troop 249 donating clothing to Clark County Schools. And even if you can't make the event, we're also accepting donations for these charities throughout the holidays at both locations. If that isn't enough for you on the 7th, the Henderson location has free retro gaming all day long and great music from our friends Serious Damage, Decaying Tigers, and DJ Slumberland. Plus, appearing live at the event are the crew from the syndicated radio show Pop Culture Cosmos and streaming stars from Game Source, Storm Rush Gaming, Mario Party Wars, and Go Brothers Gaming, as we will be streaming the event live as it happens. And while you're there on the 7th at either location, get ready to spin the wheel for some great in-store discounts as well. For the free video game promotion, Game availability is determined by Retro City Games, and mystery bags are limited to one per person. So stay in touch with the Retro City Games Facebook page and Pop Culture Cosmos podcast outlets for the latest info and updates for the biggest event of the season. It's the Holiday Charity Game Day from your friends at Retro City Games. So I gotta tell you, the coffee that I brewed right now is either gonna be the best or the worst. Let's find out. Do you know what it is? Well, I know it's not instant. No, it took a few minutes. Is it breakfast blend? No. It's caramel. What is it? It's not salted caramel. That's what I had this afternoon. What is this? This is the maple crunch. You found it? Yes, it was in the cupboard. Okay, this is the most Canadian cup of coffee. I think it's maple nut crunch. Sounds delicious and painful. (laughs) You're like a sommelier of like coffee right now. It tastes like a hearty bowl of winter cereal. Mmm, like hot cereal? Try it, yeah. That ain't no cream of wheat. That's good. It's really good. You were very doubtful about this. Yes, I was because maple, like I feel like I need to love it because we live in Canada. And I do love it like on pancakes and stuff, but we've been watching our sugar and stuff. 
sometimes the maple flavoring of things doesn't turn out so well. So I was worried. That turned out well. I it didn't did. doubt it one bit. I bought it. You were I stoked. believed in it. You are stoked. It, followed, it, it did good things. So this is Off the Cuff with No Guff. I'm your host, Rob McCallum. And my returning guest is my love, my partner, my ongoing frequent collaborator, <laughs> Miss Tanya Candler. Hello. Oh, I saw a commercial finally because... For last week's show? No, I saw a commercial with the Google Google Stadium. Google Stadia. 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 It's really like hyping it up, but like the commercial did not sell me at all. Because I just kept thinking about our conversation with that and like the commercial, it was so short and it was just... I gotta stop you there. You know what's strange? What? Snacking on these green olives while I have the maple nut crunch coffee. Strange like... <laughs> Like orange juice and brush your teeth? Strange. Yeah, it's, oh, it's a little odd. I have a bowl of green olives here, and I was thinking I was being somewhat sophisticated. <laughs> kind of like, well, this is kind of like my martini snack. <laughs> it's not panning out. Mm-mm. I'm going to stick with it because <laughs> we're down here. <laughs> so, yeah, so Google Studio commercial didn't pump you? Or not at Or all. was an artificial pump? There was no pumps for me. Zero, Zero pumps. pumps. Get out of my brain. Jinx. Jinx, Jinx again. again. <laughs> okay, so that'll do it for another episode of Off the Cuff with No Cuff, or as you like to call it, the Mouthcast. Mouthcast. The Mouthcast, where we try not to wake the kids. We only had the one edit, I think. One wake up. We're getting good not too bad. at this. Well, yeah. See, you just said we're getting good at this. So I didn't need to run upstairs no. for us to be good. Well... I love to run. Are you going to say goodbye? I am going to say goodbye. Okay, everybody, just just take care of yourself. Take care of each other. If you want to send questions or comments, hit me up on Instagram and Twitter at Rob McZob. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again soon. Bye. Bye. I get the last word. It's my <laughs> show. You're just a returning guest. You're not even frequent yet. <laughs> what? And we're back to close out the show. This is Pop Culture Cosmos. On the way out, my friend, I also want to talk about The Irishman. Because The Irishman, speaking of Thanksgiving, came out just before Thanksgiving to Netflix. It's created quite a fervor. The Oscar buzz is all around it. Martin Scorsese, despite all the, the Marvel comments and whatnot that he's, you know, that he's done, that he stated and all that stuff, and the get-off-my-lawn type verbiage he said about Marvel and all that, He's put out a great film. I'm actually checking out this week, but from all of what I'm seeing out here and all from what I'm hearing, a lot of people are really interested and really backing it as an Oscar contender. But the problem is not a lot of people can see it in the theaters because it only will get a limited distribution in theaters because theater owners are actually against putting out something that is day and date coming to Netflix. And the same thing will most likely go for Marriage Story as well. Another Oscar contender with Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. So I ask you, my friend, The Irishman, what if that movie had been put out over the Thanksgiving weekend in the theaters? Do you think that it really could have made an imprint into the box office? I think so. Because like, what, what do we have out right now? We have Ford vs. Ferrari. We have Frozen 2. We have Won't You Be My Neighbor. Like This would have been... A lot of people watch The Irishman. I've heard a lot of great things about it. I haven't watched it myself yet, but I'm hearing really great things. So I guess the big question here would, would be, 
would word of mouth for a movie like that, especially after you know Martin Scorsese's comments about Marvel, would it be enough to get people off the couch and into the movie theaters? Or is this a movie that a lot of people watched just because they were on the couch and this was Thanksgiving break? I don't know. It, it's hard because his he's always done gr- a great job with films. All of his films have, have attracted an audience of some kind. But, you know, it, it's, again, it's one of those questions where a lot of Netflix movies get watched just because people can watch them from their couch. So I have they released any official numbers on how many people have watched this movie? Not as of yet. I checked into it earlier today, but I didn't see anything as of yet pop up. I will probably go ahead and update people on our Facebook page at Pop Culture Cosmos, which will also feed into our Twitter to give them updates on Netflix. Because if it does well, Netflix is going to tout it in one of those PR releases very quickly. So you should probably see that coming up at sometime soon. But I will say this, my friend. I put The Irishman at the same bar as Knives Out. Because Knives Out earned about $8 million each day over the course of the five-day period, earning about $40 million over the five-day Thanksgiving Day period. I think it could have exceeded that, not by a whole lot more, but I think just because of Scorsese's name, the fact you had De Niro, Pacino, and Joe Pesci once again together in a movie of this format, I think, and all the Oscar buzz and all that, I think this movie would have garnered that type of interest as far as a counter-programming to Frozen 2. So Scorsese films, they've always attracted numbers in box office. You know, they've always done pretty well. People have always really liked them. I think that it would have done really well in theaters. I think it would have done more than Knives Out, but would it have been anything, you know, over 50 million? That's hard to say for sure. But, you know, I think a huge contributing factor to people watching this film was just based on the fact that they could watch it from their couch. Okay, so I had this experience in the movie theater where I haven't seen a movie, you know, in the past few months without paying less than $17 to get into the movie theater. So, you know, that's a big factor there. But there is something endearing about being able to sit on a couch and watch a great movie. And I think Netflix did a good job in getting Scorsese on for that. But again, you know, I think that with all the publicity that he's had lately, especially with his Marvel comments, he would have gotten quite a few people out into the theater to watch it. Would it have been able to compete with something like Frozen 2? That's a whole other question in itself. What are your thoughts out there on The Irishman? Have you seen it yet? Do you think it matches the hype? Or are you not exactly focusing in on it because of the comments made by Martin Scorsese on Marvel? Or just it's not type of your deal at all because it's on Netflix? Do you agree with Josh that people are just tuning into it just because it's on Netflix? Or would you have really wanted to go ahead and check this out in the theater? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com, plus also as well, popculturecosmos, humanity media, and game source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, my friend, it's been a great episode. I just want to thank you enough for being a part of it, as always. Any last thoughts on the way out? Uh, No, I'm actually looking forward to our end-of-the-year conversations coming up here. Uh, You can follow the Pop Culture Cosmos channel because I'm going to be writing a few things that will pop up on some of the albums and movies and TV shows that I've watched this year, but definitely looking forward to these top 10 conversations we're going to be having here soon. Because not only is it the end of the year, it's also the end of the decade. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Plus I want to make sure everybody knows out there once again, that if they have a chance and they're in the Las Vegas area, please on December 7th, be part of the retro city games holiday game day. Starts off with free video games for the first 250 people at both the Henderson and 
town square locations. Plus, there's also going to be not one, but two great tournaments. Live music from our friends Serious Damage, Decaying Tigers, and DJ Slumberland. Plus, there's going to be a lot more fun retro gaming. There's going to be streaming with all the guys from Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, Storm Rush Gaming, Go Brothers Gaming, Mario Party Wars, and so much more. So it's going to be a great time indeed, plus in-store discounts as well. you got to be a part of it. All the donations that you make, whether it's canned goods, kids' clothing, kids' socks, kids' underwear, new unwrapped toys, all of it goes to great charities like the UFC Children's Hospital, Three Square of Las Vegas, and Girl Scouts Troop of Las Vegas, number 249. Cannot thank them enough for being a part of it. Once again, it's Retro City Games Holiday Game Day on December 7th, and I certainly hope you'll be there. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the Pop Culture Cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great, Howdy! This year, the Earth Station One podcast will experience its favorite geek out moment with episode number 500. That's over nine years of nerdy pop culture reviews, interviews, and con reports. Join the celebration with Mike and Mike each week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite media player. We can also be found all over social media or at esonetwork.com. Peace. Peace. And we're done. We're done. We're done. We're done. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.